0: We're starting a new series this uh, week called This Is My Story, and it's not going to be my story all the time. We're going to have various uh, presenters throughout the summer. It's going to be a wonderful time, and uh, uh, as we hear the stories of people, hear the stories of God intersecting their stories and creating a new history, a new destiny. And so, This Is My Story. How many of you like to go to a movie? It's okay. It's 2019, 19, you're allowed to go, okay? When I was growing up, you're like, I don't go to movies, so no, don't go. How many of you have, uh, I think there was a lot of people, you don't have to put up your hand for this, but uh, people were watching Stranger Things 3, had just been uh, out this way, last week, finished up, uh, movies, some of us like to watch Netflix series, some of us like to watch too many Netflix series, because what happens is, you're watching it, and it just 10 more seconds, 10, 9, you're like, I could do one more. I can do it. It's like 2 a.m. I can do one more. Future Craig can deal with this. (laughs) Right? Some of us love the stories that are found in novels or biographies. I love reading biographies of people who are famous, who have done great things. Uh, Reading novels, not so much. Uh, In the summer, I tend to read a little bit more uh, biographies and things like that. Globally... We spend in a year 136 billion dollars on movies and TVs, TV industry, DVDs, Netflix, and all that kind of thing. Every year, 136 billion dollars. That's about half the what the whole government of Canada spends in one year. All through the world, 136 billion. There used to be just Hollywood on the scenes. Now there's uh, uh, Hollywood makes the most expensive movies, but Bollywood sells the most tickets. And there's another one that I just discovered called Nollywood. Anybody know about that one? Yeah, my Nigerian friends do. That's Nigeria. Nigeria makes many of the movies that are all throughout Africa and is a rising uh, power in the movie industry in the world. So if you haven't heard, you might have heard of Bollywood, Get watch out for Nollywood. I don't know It sounds, maybe it be better than what comes out of Hollywood, right? So back in the olden days too, there was a time when you had to wait Till the next week to watch the next episode and you had to not only wait till the next week you had to wait to a certain time it was only on this time unless you pre-programmed your VCR stop that stupid light from flashing pre-program your VCR and you could watch it then or if you want really were serious you could wait till it came out at Blockbuster and get there early on Friday when it was going to be released with 200 copies of it all there, and you would get there, and there would be none behind the box. Now, some of you kids are have no clue what I'm talking about. It's all right. It's all right. You just go back on YouTube and watch about Blockbuster and all that kind of stuff. We love stories, whether it's a book or a movie or a storyteller. In fact, most history, uh, much of history is oral history. Uh, particularly indigenous people uh, have the oral history where the stories are told of what was and, and all the great battles and legends and things like that are, are communicated through stories. My, my family, my mother is a resident storyteller and she got it from her father. My, my grandfather would tell stories, crazy stories, that I hardly ever believed were true. Uh, He told me that there was a time in the prairies that it was so cold for two weeks that mercury was stuck in the bottom of the thermometer and would not rise. He estimated it was between 60 and 70 degrees below zero. And the fact that people still live there is a puzzle to me. Because when it's not that, it's mosquitoes. They also had, he said, they would put a rope in the winter from their house to the barn because they had to hold on that rope to go feed the, the animals because sometimes the snow was coming so incredibly thick. If you let go of that, you could wander off and never be found again till spring. For real. So you had to hang on to that rope. So these are stories. My grandfather told me all kinds of crazy stories. Some stories he didn't want to tell about the times that he was in the Second World War and he came back with post-traumatic stress syndrome or shell shock, as they called it. And he didn't want to tell those stories. Some stories he did not want us to hear or even relive. And when it comes to life, we all have our story. If you sit down with... uh, Pastor Daniel, one of the things he loves to do, if he's never met you before, is to say, hey, tell me your story. And you tell him whatever version you want him to hear. The cleaned up, the sanitized, or the short one. If he tells you a story, it'll be a long one. It's for real. I love hearing the stories of, in our church family because there's so many different nations and so many different cultural experiences and so many different backgrounds that the stories are absolutely interesting. I, I, I like sitting down with older people and hearing stories of, of the way life was when they grew up. It's incredibly uh, incredibly fun. And we're, but all of us have our own story and we're all, most of us, all of us really are at different places in our story. Some of us have just a few pages left in our story. I'm not going to point you out. I'm not. Some of us have a lot of pages left in our story. And it's not an age thing because no man knows the time or the day when we will come or when we will go in the world. Some of us would like to tear whole chapters out of our story. Some of us would like to do what the government does when they, redo, when they release documents and, and just black out whole sections. You know? <laughs> Hey, Mom and Dad, tell me about that. Mm-mm. It's been redacted. Nobody shall ever see that page, that page of shame. Yeah, Some of you are clapping. I want to see that story afterwards. I read this quote by an unknown author this week, and it underlines a perspective about church that I would love to see. It's, that it's okay to not be okay in your story. It's okay to have stuff. It's okay to be in process as we allow Jesus to transform us. And the quote was this. It said, I'd rather attend church with messed up people who love God than with religious people who dislike messed up people. Because most of our story has a little bit of a mess in it. We like get all sanitized and cleaned up and smelling good and we come to church and we're raising our hands and everything is good and it's wonderful and fine and maybe it is but sometimes there's a story that's happening at home or there's a story going on in your life sometimes there's a story from a long time ago that you're walking through in the middle we all have our story and sometimes we get a little funny we get fatalistic with our story and you'll hear things like if it's meant to be it'll happen. Or this one, everything happens for a reason. I've discovered this. Sometimes the reason is because I'm stupid and I do stupid things. That's the reason. (laughs) There's no cosmic force in in play. It's just me. And sometimes we say this, what will be will be. It is what it is. And that kind of mentality in our story can have a fatalistic, apathetic ring to it that we just kind of go with wherever life seems to take us. And we fatalistically follow wherever the steps of our life seem to be taking. We meet someone, we go here, we do that. But our story is not a random chance or a fatalistic fumbling on one hand, nor on the other hand is it robotic destiny where where everything is exactly perfect in your life. The actual fact is that some people are high on the sovereignty of God, which simply means that God does everything. And nothing is left to chance. Or on the other hand, the free will of man, where it's everything, is the free will of man, whatever you decide. The actual truth of what Scripture seems to teach is that it's more like a partnership. Where God, in the garden, invited man into the process of extending his kingdom in the world. And in so many places where, throughout Scripture, where God invites men and women into the world and the story that he's writing, writing. And so, so sometimes... We get stressed out on this idea of destiny and we think, if I'm one iota off, my life is going to be destroyed and God will not be pleased with me. I think it's a little bit more like there are multiple options that God has for your story and he invites you to be a part of the journey of shaping that story. That it, Rather than a destiny, he has a purpose for your life. And he can work out the purpose with you in ways that will absolutely surprise you. And he can take you in places and spaces that you can't, could not be yourself as you join with him and your purpose of God for your life can be walked out. So it's not destiny where it's fatalism, nor is it the other extreme where it's all left up to you. But God invites us into our partnership. The Bible says we make our plans, but God directs our steps. We set up on our journey, and God puts things in our hearts, and we begin to move towards Him, and God begins to lead us in the story of our life. And then other times, the Bible says, you will hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way. Walk in. And sometimes, God is walking very closely and speaking very directly. Other times, our story is affected by how we respond to God, because God can give us an opportunity to do something, and we can choose to do it or not to do it. We have a part to play in it. God's given you gifts. He's given you talents. He's given you abilities. And how you use them or not will affect how you walk in the purpose of God for your life. It's not destiny, but there's a purpose and a direction that God wants to move through your life. Sometimes we get so hung up on our story not being the way that we think it should be when God is always able to work in your story, in the mess of your story, in the success of your story, in your best days and in your worst days, the important thing is I'm in a partnership with God. He's taking me on a journey. He's leading me. He's directing me. And we move forward in what he has for my life. So you have a story. And your story is incredibly important. Your story is incredibly valuable. And especially in, con- in the context if you're a follower of Christ. Because we believe that he's involved in your story. Psalm 78 says this incredible. It's a book right in the middle of the, the Bible written by multiple authors. But telling these stories. Um, psalms, wisdom, and different things like that. It says this, it says, we've heard, speaking of the people of God, people who follow Christ, we've heard true stories from our fathers, our mothers, our parents, our grandparents, about our rich heritage. We will continue to tell our children and not hide from the rising generation the great marvels of God. In this way, every generation will have a living faith in the laws of life and will never forget the faithful ways of God. One of the Most important things you can do as a leader, as a parent, as a grandparent, is tell how God's moved in your life. Don't ever give the impression that the good things that are happening or have happened in your life are because you're so smart. It's because of God. It's because of God's goodness. It's God's mercy. And your kids need to see that you walk out what you say you believe. Your kids need to see that it's been God who's worked in your life and need to hear the story because it gives them courage to invite God into their story and to to try things that are impossible for them except by the goodness of God. And it's so important to tell your story. And so I'm going to tell a little bit of my story. Now, because I'm the pastor, you've heard a lot of my stories. But there are some maybe that you haven't, and, uh, but we'll get there. I'm, in my family, I grew up with six kids. I was number five of six. I had three older brothers and older sister, and one brother younger than me. Uh, it was a, we grew up in the country in a place, I often say in a cusp, but it actually was a, even smaller than that, a place called Burton, about 300 people where everybody knew you, knew your business, and your mom knew it before you got home. We always had enough to eat. We had a garden to weed. We had animals to to uh, eat and... Oh, not animals to eat, animals to feed. We did eat them later. If you're a vegetarian, I'm sorry, we eat them. Um, you can weed the garden, I'll eat the... <laughs> and in the 80s growing up, it was a different time where we were in a small town. We rode our bikes all over the place. Uh, we're gone for the day, those you know, stereotype of, of country life. That's what we lived in, playing in the woods and building forts and lighting fires and burning things down and all kinds of stuff. You've heard many of the stories. You've heard of the dry riding, one of my brothers rode uh, the pony through the living room and out the front door. Another of uh, uh, caught a crow out of a nest, a baby crow, and did some stuff with it to try to teach it to talk like a parrot because apparently you could... <laughs> The crow escaped, I, I don't know, a, a lone escape to tell people of the story, uh, raising chickens, uh, riding pigs, like it's so fun. <laughs> riding pigs, when you fall off a pig that you're riding, it is not a good end to the story, not a good end. But my mom, my mom was a follower of Jesus uh, I often tell it like this: that she had not been, she had grown up in the church, but she had wandered away, uh, and then began to kind of turn back to God around the time I was born. I always say, I think that I was the one that drove my mom back to Jesus. <laughs> my dad was not a Christ follower until I was around 11 or 12 years old, and my dad modeled hard work. He was a quiet guy and is a quiet guy. Uh, he worked long, long days. Uh, and just a week or so ago, he retired from driving logging trucks. And so he'd be gone 12, 15 hours a day. And on the weekend, we'll be working either on the equipment he was running or on the logging truck he was driving. And so uh, I d- my dad didn't really want, um, didn't know how, or didn't have the time, I'm not sure what, um, for us. He had little time to connect emotionally. My mom has always been a driver. And I don't mean a truck driver. I mean a driver. A driver. She'll push to get something done no matter what's in the way. That's, I've inherited that from her. Whether, she, whether something's in front of her or not. I can remember one time, this happened fairly regularly at our house. Uh, she said, I would like this wall out between the kitchen and the living room. She was into open concept before it was a thing. And... And she asked my dad and asked my dad, my dad is kind of the guy, if you ignore her long enough, it will stop and it will go away. I think he would have learned this by now, because one day he came home and the wall was gone. Uh, My mom, I don't know who else was involved in it, probably some of my brothers took it out. Uh, Sometimes the stairs would be in one place in the house, and then a week later, they're in another location. In fact, one time I fell through the hole when the stairs were being moved. My grandma gave me a sandwich and said, be careful around the hole. And I was like, what hole? I fell down into the basement. That explains a lot, I know, right there. But fortunately, thank God, that my grandfather had just put a, saw a horse down there and a piece of plywood and I bounced off the plywood. Otherwise, I would be worse than I am. Anyhow, I gave my life to Jesus as a four or five year old and it was very real. I felt and experienced the love of God, even as a young person. Around 12 years old, I was baptized in the Holy Spirit. or I was filled with the Holy Spirit and began to knew God, know God in a, in a more real and personal way. And I, was, I noticed, and I think back, and I was always comfortable being alone. I didn't need a lot of people around me. Uh, I loved to read encyclopedias for fun. I'm that guy. I still do it except now it's called the internet i'm like reading 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 all the time about stuff and if if you have a, a trivial pursuit game or something like that i'm your guy i will win for you except if it's movies because i wasn't allowed to watch them i grew up in the church in the 70s what can i say i was very shy in many ways i felt insecure and would feel fear rejection of people so i would keep very quietly uh close behind my mom when I was very young and even as I grew older, I just was kind of the guy would slide into the room and stand against the wall and hope nobody noticed me. Some of you, I see you, All right? There you are right now. I won't point you out. Uh, I had enough to eat, had lots of time to play, did my chores and lived the country life, but was super insecure and felt that others were or are, were rejecting me or could reject me at any moment. And at times, because of my personality as I interacted with my parents, now, once you have kids, you understand something or when you reflect back as you get older and you talk with your siblings, you're like, did you grow up in the same house as me? Because I experienced that totally different than you did. Uh, doesn't mean that they're lying. It just means that through their personality, they experienced it differently uh, than you did in the same moment. Uh, I know my mom, I, I, I felt that, and this may or may not be true. It depends on which of my siblings you ask. I felt that it was imposs- difficult, if not impossible, to please her, uh, my larger-than-life mom. She had high standards, was not afraid to let you know, and her expectations seemed impossible to reach. And then my dad, although a great provider, because, because of his own upbringing of growing up with a dad who was uh, gone a lot and also, when he was home, was uh, often uh, lost in alcohol. Didn't, my dad didn't know how to connect with us. It, it, he just he even told me that years later. He said, I had no idea how to be a dad. And uh, someone has said this, that, and I think it's really true, is that all roads of things, the things in your life that are out of order, all roads lead to your childhood at some level. And I don't want to get psychological on us or anything like that. It just behooves you and to understand how your life experience has affected who you are. Um, I love my parents, and I don't believe that by any intent they did what they did or anything like that. It's just the reality of my experience and how it's affected. But I discovered that I could do well in academics. And so I worked super hard academically. And I graduated from high school a year early And because I noticed that my parents, and especially my dad, would notice me when I achieved and was a high achiever and stayed out of trouble. And there were a couple of instances, though, that came to define my understanding and take on life and I was probably around four or five years old and my dad and uh, my uh, older brothers we always called them the big boys Uh, the big boys were going with my dad and maybe a couple other friends and they were going to go up a creek uh, not without a paddle not that story uh, up a creek snow creek and it was kind of a or caribou creek I can't remember which one nearby our house. And I wasn't allowed to go. When you go creek fishing, you're in and out of the creek. It's The creek is rushing. Because I was probably about four, my dad, he didn't explain this. He just said, you're not coming. And I remember my little heart being so broken, He, I just walked away and I crawled under the porch and was sobbing, sobbing, sobbing. I didn't realize I was like right under the front door. And so everybody could hear me. I thought nobody could hear me. What's going on? And uh, well, one of our the neighbor friends, uh, Maurice, his name was, uh, the dad of one of our friends, he crawled in under there and just told me it was going to be all right and everything and, and comforted me. and and. But it was a moment that, for whatever reason, that uh, my sensitive nature, wanting to be close to my dad, took it as rejection. And I remember that day and the time when it happened, and I remember feeling like I was unwanted in that moment. Another instance around the same time, One of my brothers and I did something that required a discipline. And I knew what my parents were... I know now what my parents were trying to do, but the method of their discipline um, and the message that landed in my heart was, not only did I do bad, I was bad. Not only did I make a mistake, I should be ashamed of myself. And two main lies landed in my heart in those two things that that began to define the way that I live my life. Bible says this in a positive way, train up a child in the way they should go. When they're old, they will not depart from it. So important because the formation when you're young begins to form the perspective of your life. And it doesn't mean that there's no hope. I'm gonna talk a little bit more about that, but if your, your experiences as you're growing up begin to shape your perspective and you believe things about life, not because they're true necessarily, but simply because you've experienced them and you believe them is true. Two main lies landed in my heart is that your performance, Craig, will always determine your acceptance. If you perform well, you will be accepted. The other one was don't make a mistake. If you do, do whatever you can to make sure no one ever finds it out, or you will be shamed. It was fake news, to use our term of today, but if you believe it is true, it's true. And it began to control me and influence me. And as I moved into my teens, I was more painfully shy and insecure. I was like a catch. If you'd you known me when I was 15, 16 years old, I had these big goggle glasses. I had terrible teeth. I actually had braces on for, if you can believe this, a decade, uh, for real. Uh, had zits like you could not, my kids get zits and they look at me, you. Bad teeth, bad face, and I was super insecure in all of it. And would uh, I remember coming to Bible college, and I was, in my first day, uh, introducing ourselves, and my face getting all red. I could barely say my name. I wanted to, to hide. And when I did go into college, I stayed in my dorm room doing homework because I was determined to succeed. That's what I do. I basically only went out for meals and programs, things that we're supposed to do. I read and I studied and I wrote papers. It got so bad in my first year that this girl named Shanda for some reason wanted me to go out with a group of them. So I said, well, here it is. If you want me to go out with you, I need you to pass a petition. And I need at least, I think it was between six and ten names or I'm going to stay doing my homework. I was like 17. I was like, what right do I have to say to do that? But now I'm married to this woman. She came back with seven names, and we all went out to the mall. And that was the beginning of a great chapter of my story. (laughs) God works in mysterious ways, people. So 18 years old, I began to sense that I was called to be a pastor. I began to sense that God had something on my life, but I was like, there's no way that I can do it. There is no way. I'm too shy. I'm too insecure. I'm going to be an accountant, and I'm going to hide in offices. I won't have to deal with people, but God began to work. And I was around 18 or 19 years old in this room when the, 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 what do you call this, the stage was in the corner there. And on Sunday night or a Wednesday night service, I can't remember which, but this couple, uh, uh, they were missionaries. Godfrey and Bette Newton shared on Ephesians 6 about honoring your parents. And they talked about how important it was to deal with the pain and deal with the issues of your childhood. The biggest thing that you can do is to forgive because forgiveness doesn't make uh, it right it simply sets you free from the chains that hold you to the to what's going on And it was such a revelation for me at 18 years old and I thought man I I don't want to reproduce what I've experienced. So God has just given me a revelation of a way to have a new story, a new future for my life. And it's starting right in this moment at 19 years old. And I went to the front, and I, I began to pour out my heart to God. And I began to ask God to forgive me. I, asked, I began to release pain. I began to release hurt. I began to release things to God. And it began a journey. It was the first step in a journey out of where I was. A page had turned in my story. I felt a little better, but I needed much more freedom in my thinking and in my emotions. And in my early 20s, that insecurity that had landed began to look like workaholism. That's the acceptable-ism in the church. Workaholism. You work hard, you'll get promoted. It's unhealthy, but hey, that's what we do. Not well. I served in church. I went to pre-service prayer. I served in Sunday school. I went to evening service. Went to served in midweek service. I... But it wasn't from a heart of love for God. It was I had mixed motives because I was looking for approval and acceptance. I believed the lie that your acceptance is based on your, uh, how well you do. I was becoming addicted to approval that I got when I perform well. And as life went on, I began to be more resentful of people who didn't do their part. Well, I was stressed out, worried, and broken. And as life went on in the midst of ministry on Vancouver Island, I began to notice that my feelings were frozen. I didn't have highs. I didn't have lows. I was just, this is happy Craig. This is sad Craig. This is really ecstatic Craig. All looking exactly the same. But, see, the only thing that's a flat line is a dead life. And I felt dead on the inside. And I, although I was doing better relating to people, my, I was alone. I felt alone and felt afraid to get, let anyone close. The constant performance and the putting on the front was draining me. I got shingles, which is chicken pox again, uh, except they're worse when you're an adult. If you want to look it up, you can. It was not fun. I was so run down. I was 28, 29 years old. I was dabbling in pornography for a while to escape. I was neglecting my wife and eventually my kids because I was so intent on doing uh, things to get approval. In the middle of it all, I was doing youth ministry part-time for two churches at the same time. As on top of that, I had another full-time, 35-hour-a-week job as well. So I was working a lot, holding down that second job or third, depending on your accounting. By this time, we had a third child. Shanda had undiagnosed postpartum depression. Um, we just knew she was grumpy. I knew there was a problem, and I did not want to be around her or anything to do with her. and We weren't getting along. I was being tempted as a lady at work flirted with me, uh, not in the church, in another uh, environment, and made it clear that her husband was working out of town, and you know. And that insecure little boy was still inside, looking for acceptance, looking for approval, absolutely fearing shame, but thank God for his grace to resist the temptation. But one time I remember my mom saying to my mom in frustration and anger about my approach to life, This is just the way that I am. And she said, Actually, it's not. It's the way that you've learned to live. I, I hate it when she's right. I just walked away so angry, but I knew she was right. Sometimes we accept things as they are rather than dreaming and believing that there's a better way. And so we continued on in my life and my. My insecurity was no longer a mentality. It had become my identity. And as I moved into my late 20s, I remember praying and said, God, I can't do this anymore. I am so anxious. I am frustrated, I'm angry at people, I feel on the edge all the time, my life is out of control, I have no idea how to fix myself, my life, or my future, but I need help. And every time I began to make it a pro, uh, uh, just a practice of my life, every time there was a, an altar called, come for prayer, I went up for it. If you're a single mom, I'm going up for prayer. Like, it doesn't matter, I'm getting prayer for something. You can pray for it, God's going to hear your prayer and make it work for me because I desperately need God. And I came across this story in the Bible that really identifies how God works in the lives of people like me, people like you, people stuck, people in spaces and places that they didn't ever dream they would be, people in places that uh, they never thought they would be. No one ever dreamed when you are growing up that you would be in that place or you thought by now you would be there. You're not sure where God is in the story, what's going on in your story. But Judges chapter 6, if you want to turn there in a moment or even now, and the context of the story where we're going to go is that the people of God had rebelled against God. They said, God, we don't want anything to do with you. We want our own way. And so they began to go their own way and God... God will allow you to go your own way. He doesn't abandon you. He just says, have at it. Run your life all by yourself. And when that happens, we get into all kinds of trouble. And the the enemy, the Midianites, their name was, came in and began to destroy them, eat their crops, destroy their food. Every time when they would just about be ready to harvest, the enemy would come in and grab everything. The people were hiding in caves. They were hiding in the woods. They were running every time that they heard the raiders were coming. And they would sneak out and just try to raise a small little crop. And finally, they call out to God for help. God answered. And that's where we pick up the story in verse 11. It says, the angel of the Lord came and sat beneath the great tree at Ophrah, which belonged to Joash of the clan of Abiezer Gideon, son of Joash, was threshing, threshing wheat at the bottom. Everybody say the bottom of a wine press. To hide the grain from the Midianites. The angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, Mighty hero. Everybody say, Mighty hero. Mighty hero? The Lord is with you. Sir, Gideon replied, If the Lord is with us, why has all this happened? And where are all the miracles of our ancestors told us about? Didn't they say the Lord brought us out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and handed us over to the Midianites. Then the Lord turned to him and said, Go with the strength you have and rescue Israel from the Midianites. I am sending you. But Lord, Gideon replied, how can I rescue Israel? My clan is the weakest in the whole tribe of Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. The Lord said to him, I will be with you, and you will destroy the Midianites as if you were fighting against one man. And in the middle of the chaos, in the middle of the brokenness, in the middle of the craziness, God came to Gideon and says, mighty hero. Because God does not call you like you are. He calls you like you're going to be. God does not see you through your brokenness. He sees you in your wholeness. And he will always call you farther than you are right now. He will always call you to a place that is impossible for you because he believes in you and sees the purpose on your life. God sees mighty when all we see is misery. God sees a mighty future for you in you. God sees a powerful person of valor and resource and influence in you when he begins to move in your life. But pastor, you don't understand my situation. Like Gideon, he was hiding in the bottom of the wine press. He was threshing grain in this little place, trying to get enough to make some bread and survive. And we know it was little because a wine press was a small little place where when they usually thresh grain, it would be in a space half the size of the gym where there would be uh, animals that would walk on the grain and break out the, the, the wheat and the grain so that they could eat it. And you, uh, it was small, it was ordinary, it was survival mode. And in moments like that, you can be in the same kind of a situation at the bottom of everything in your life. You can be at the bottom in your marriage not knowing how you're gonna move forward. You can be feel like you're at the bottom in the purpose of your life not knowing what God has for you. You can be so discouraged that you gotta look up to find the bottom. You can be in a place where the failure of what was mocks you in your present. You can be in the bottom, your mentality, your situation, your place. Where is my purpose? What is God gonna do? I finished university. Where is it? There is no way up. But just because you feel at the bottom doesn't mean that God can't raise you to the top. Don't think that where you are is where you will always be. Side note, if you have ever watched a TV series, they hold you and bring you into the next because they end it on a cliffhanger. You can end a series or a, um, a, an episode, and if you stop it right there, it doesn't make sense. And in fact, it seems kind of weird. So here's the point. Never judge someone based on a season or a chapter in their story. It's not over yet. In one chapter... There was a man named Joseph who was locked up in a prison. But in another chapter, in the next chapter, he's walking into the palace. In one chapter, there was a shepherd boy named David who was overlooked and misunderstood by his own family. And then in the next season, he was walking into being the king of the entire nation. In one chapter, your business might have failed... But hold on, the next season, you might have multiple businesses. In one chapter, your relationship looks hopeless. But hold on, in the next season, God could be restoring something that looks impossible right now. So be careful that you don't judge somebody for the season they're in because it's not over yet. And some of you have not judged others, but you've believed because you've been in your season for so long that you can't believe that you will ever be out of it. But never judge your future solely based on where you are in your present Where you're at is not where you will always be in Jesus. A bad season or a difficult one doesn't mean the page can't turn in God. God sees your story. He's not just seeing a chapter. He's writing a book with you of what your life could look like. He can turn the story around as you come to him and say, God, do something in the middle of my story. I don't like the chapter I've just walked through. Can you help me rewrite with you a new future He has done stranger things before he is able to turn it around. And Gideon was mad and irritated about where's God? What's happening? How can these things be in this world? And we could look at our own world like that and say... Things are out of order. Things are in craziness. There's so much division. There's so much hate. There's things being done that are absolutely unacceptable, and it's true. There might be things in your own life. There might be things in your family. There might be things in our city, but hear this. Here's what God says to Gideon. I am sending you into it. And see, here's why the enemy wants you to keep you in a wine press at the bottom, because you're the answer to somebody's prayer. You're the answer that somebody is looking for when God begins to write your story with you. There is a hope. There is a purpose. There is meaning for your life that is not in any other place but in the hand of God as you begin to walk with him and you begin to step into things. So the enemy wants to keep you down, but God says, go rescue a nation. You have a purpose. You, God's courage is with you. His strength is upon your life and you are meant to make a difference in the world. You're not meant to stay in the smallness of the wine press. You're meant to go into battle for your family, for your nation, for your future, for the world that God could do exceedingly abundantly in you through your life. It doesn't matter what got you where you are. It matters how you will respond where you are. Will you move? Are you willing to shift? Are you willing to change? Are you willing to have a new mindset? Are you willing to take on a new attitude? Are you willing to do some new action? But you don't understand me, not only my situation, me. See, Gideon says, but Lord, how can I rescue Israel, my clan's the weakest in the whole tribe of Manasseh, which, in fact, was the smallest tribe. And I am the least in my family. I'm the least, I'm the youngest, I'm the smallest. Gideon had excuses, Gideon had fear, Gideon had insecurities, and I can really identify with that. He had all the obstacles of why he could not be what God had called him to be. And many of us elevate our obstacles above God's purpose, and we say, God, there's no way, but God reminds us again and again, let God's view of you change your view of you because sometimes your view of you is far too small like mine was. Sometimes your view of what God could do in your life is insignificant. But God, who is rich in mercy and abounding in love, is working in you to will and to do according to his good pleasure. In other words, your best days truly are in front of you. It's not over. The story's not over because God is in the story. He's turning pages. He's rewriting things. The ending's going to look a little different than you thought it would. You thought it was going to a bitter end, but As you begin to release your life to God, God begins to turn things around that are impossible for you. He begins to heal you and you begin to step into things. He begins to move obstacles that have held you back for far too long. Because the purpose of God in your life is so absolutely huge that the world needs you to be you. Not some form of you, not some cartoon of you, not some cutout of you, but the real you that God has called and has great purpose on. God doesn't need you to be invincible. He needs you to be available. Some of us think if I have done everything perfect in my life, if everything is all good, then I can begin to be used by God. Simply report for duty and say, God, I need you to do something in me because I am messed up, but I know that you can do something in me because you're the God of the Bible. You're the God who is all powerful. You're the God who can do things, that cause things that are not as though they were. You're leading me into overwhelming victory because of who you are. If we want to see the narrative of our life change, we must be available to face our personal issues. My insecurity had to be face down. It had to be looked in the eye. It said, you will not win the day on me anymore. People ask me, do you ever get nervous when you preach?" Every time. Every time. Every time I step on this stage, I have to face my insecurity in the face again. It gets a little easier, but still, every there are times when I step on the stage, and I'm battling it, and I'm saying, God, you've called me. Your hand is upon me for good. You're going to do things through me today. Lord, it's not I didn't call myself. Help me. Because the sooner I deal, allow Jesus to deal with my inner life, the sooner healing will come to all my life. And we can't avoid dealing with the stuff that we're carrying. Begin to, and building on the forgiveness, i start I started at 18 with the help of the Holy Spirit, with mentors in my life. I stayed regular in God's Word. I stayed consistent in God's presence. I was began to be much more regular in, in being with people. But two key things that forever altered my life and broke the power of rejection and security that controlled me. There was a time of prayer and counsel with some trusted pastors. They asked me what I wanted prayer for. I told them I just was not doing well. But there was something just not right on the inside. They asked me if God would show me a picture or something. And I was immediately taken to that time when I was four years old, where I believed for the first time that I was not wanted, that that I was overlooked and insignificant. And they prayed with me in that moment. And in that moment, something lifted off my life that rejection left me and began to shift inside of me. I was 31 years old, and I had been carrying something for 27 years. And in a moment, the Spirit of God did something that I could not and set me free from rejection in that moment. And I learned again and was reminded my response is my responsibility doesn't matter what's happened to me, I can be free. Doesn't matter what someone said about me, did around me, did to me. I can be free because God is greater than the person. God is greater than the pain. God is greater than the failure. God is greater than the rejection. My response is my responsibility, and the sooner I allow Jesus to do deal with my inner life, the sooner healing will come in all my life. The second thing was, the second incredible moment was when I made the choice to tell Shanda about a very shameful thing that I had done as a young boy and that was done to me and how I had always felt shame. I had not told anyone about it for over 30 years. It had remained quiet, not spoken of, but known. It was the shame burden that I carried. And when I told it to Shanda, and I was expecting rejection and amazing that we'd been married probably at this time for over 10 years. And I believed that she would somehow reject me. But she prayed for me, loved me, cried with me, cried over me. I told my pastor as well. And here's a principle of life. What lives in the dark dies in the light. As long as it holds you in shame, it will hold you in pain. It doesn't mean that it changes in a moment. But when you begin to bring it into the light with trusted people, with a counselor, with a pastor, God can begin to set you free and move you into a new reality. Don't let it lock you up. The sooner you allow Jesus to deal with your inner life, the sooner your healing will come to all your life. How God sees you is more important than how you see you. Jesus is still changing me. I haven't arrived. Philippians 1.6 says that he who began a good work will be faithful to complete it. So wherever you're at in your story, He who began a good work will be faithful to complete it. Romans 8 and 28 says that all things work together for the good of them that love God and are called according to His purpose. doesn't mean all things are good. It means that God is incredibly powerful to bring good out of evil, to bring good out of difficult, to bring good out of pain. That's the God we serve. But too often we're like Gideon, we know there are problems, we know there are things, and we're at the bottom in our survival mode, and we keep trying to do the same thing, and we're not free. And we hear God call us, we hear irritating preachers remind us that we're called to be mighty heroes in God, mighty heroes for a generation. Mighty heroes for a nation, mighty heroes for yourself, mighty heroes for a family, mighty heroes for people who are watching you and you're not even aware of it. Mighty heroes for people that are trapped in discouragement, sitting in little holes of hovels of not knowing if there's any hope for their life. Mighty heroes for people that are looking at you and say, well, is there a better way for my life? Mighty heroes for people that feel disillusioned, discouraged, and and dropped off in life. But mighty heroes when people uh, God begins to see you, uh, you begin to see yourself as how God sees you. Because, and I love this, and we're closing now, you're going to chase the Midianites like they're one man. It's going to happen for you, Gideon. In one moment, the things that have been holding you are going to be running. Plot twist. When you follow Jesus, one day the thing you're running from will one day be running from you. One day the thing you're running from right now is going to be running from from you. Because the sooner I allow Jesus to deal with my inner life, the sooner the healing will come in and through my life. So you can look shame in the eye say, it's not over, shame, you're not going to hold me all my life. You might have won the day, you might have even won a couple battles, but it's not over. Pornography addiction, I know our world says that it's normal, it's not normal. And I'm going to do whatever it takes to be free. Apathy. No purpose. I can't live there. You can't win the day for me because my life is significant in God. I'm meant to change the world. Insecurity, perfectionism. Perfectionism that locks you up and debilitates you because you feel like that if you make a mistake that you'll be bad. You will have failed and failure is fatal. You're know, look perfectionism in the eye. And you need to start and say, even begin, whatever your thing is that's holding you, look it in the face every morning with the Spirit of God and say, by the Spirit of God, you are not going to hold me all my life. You are going to go perfectionism in the name of Jesus. Anger, hatred, discouragement, whatever your thing is. The sooner I allow Jesus to deal with my inner life, the sooner healing will come to all my life. Your story matters. Your story is important. The world needs you to live your story. You need to live your story. There's no better life. I don't care what anybody says. The Bible says this, you can enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. There's a season that's enjoyable, but the end is not good. But if you walk with God, if you walk with God, your story is full of fulfillment. Someone said it earlier today, goodness of God, fulfilled, filled, joy, joy. Someone who walks with you in every season. Someone who is in the middle of your story. Someone who rewrites the ending. It's in your story. i want to invite you to stand and we're going to respond real quick. First of all, if you're here, obviously you're here if you're listening to me. And you recognize that you have not made Jesus the forgiver and leader of your life. That's the first step. See, I said earlier that God causes all things to work together for the good of those who love him. He he can't work in your life. He can only work in your life to the level that you invite him. So if you've never made Jesus the forgiver and leader of your life, he will forever alter not just your story, but even the end of your story. That your eternity matters. One day all of us will stand before God. All of us will stand before God and we'll give an answer for for who we are and what the life that we live. If you're a follower of Jesus, the beautiful thing is this, is they say, I couldn't make it on my own, but Jesus, he paid the price. He paid the price of admission through his, his death on the cross and I'm walking in. The story continues. If you've never made Jesus the forgiver and leader of your life and you say, Craig, I need a reset on my life. I need to turn the page on the story, to allow God to begin to write along with me, my future. Just bow your head and close your eyes for a moment. I wanna give people opportunity to respond in privacy. And when I ask you to respond, I'm not gonna ask you to come to the front. All I'm gonna ask you to do is put up your hand and I'm gonna pray with you and that will be the beginning of your journey. So if you're with every head bowed and every eye closed for privacy around, on my left, if you're here and you're saying, Pastor, I need to make Jesus a forgiver and leader of my life and begin that journey. Just throw up your hand, put up your hand. Yes, yes. Right down the middle. You say, Pastor, today's my day. I need a reset on my life. I need to invite Jesus to begin to rewrite my story. Amen. Amen. So we're going to pray first for those of you that put up your hand, and I'm just going to invite everybody to pray it along with me. I'll repeat after me. don't have to if you don't want to. But even if you're a follower of Jesus, dear Jesus, I thank you that you went to the cross, paid the price for my sin and my brokenness. You've came to give me a brand new life. I repent of my sin. I ask you to forgive me. Make me free and new in you. Lead my life. The Bible says that if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you're saved. In other words, you pass from death to life and you begin a journey. So those of you that prayed that for the very first time, you've begun a journey. The pages of your story are being written. And for the rest of us, I think there are some next steps up on the page. Do you have one more slide there, Jordan? There we go. I, we talked about some real things this morning and you might have identified some things. Here are just some easy next steps. Ask a friend for prayer. Ask somebody you can trust just to pray with you, pray for you. If you want to send a confidential email to prayer at we would love to pray for you. See a pastor, see a counselor. There's nothing wrong with it. In fact, I encourage you to do it. See psychologists get help to deal with your inner issues. Be consistent in spiritual disciplines. We hate that word discipline, but that just simply means things like praying, reading your Bible, coming to church. It's really, really important. It's powerful. Worship music on. Go to Set Free Retreat in the fall. It's a weekend where it'll absolutely revolutionize your life. Uh, Coming up in October, we'll talk more about it as it comes close. But we really believe in actually doing something with the word. So for you, kind just we're just gonna respond one more moment. Just bow your head one more time and then we're we're gonna be done. Close your eyes, give privacy again to the people around you. Just if you're saying, Pastor, there's some things in my life that I need a breakthrough in, and I'm gonna agree with you in prayer. Just put your hand up right now. All over the room. Literally dozens and dozens. So here's what we're gonna do. I'm going to pray, and you're going to name the thing in your mind or in your heart. And so, Jesus, I thank you that you came to set us free. You came to give us liberty. Father, thank you that you're writing a story and resetting stories right now. And, Lord, I pray that hope would even come into places where hope has been vanquished and lost, like Gideon just seeing all the bad things that are going on. Lord, I pray that hope would come into hearts right now in Jesus' name. And Lord, everything, and we name it in our mind right now, that has held us, we say we want nothing to do with you. Whatever that thing is, I want nothing to do with you. God, forgive me for giving you place. I command you to go in Jesus' name. Simple as that. And I welcome you, Holy Spirit, to lead my life. I want nothing to do with you. I want nothing to do with anxiety. I want nothing to do with fear. I want nothing to do with... Addiction. I want nothing to do with apathy. I want nothing to do with whatever your thing is. Go in Jesus' name, Amen. That's so what I want you to do. If you prayed that prayer, there was literally dozens and dozens of hands up in the room. Do one of those next steps for sure, and in the interim, just begin to start your day a little different. I belong to Jesus. Fear. Go in Jesus' name. Whatever your thing is, go in Jesus' name. I welcome the Holy Spirit to write my story today. Simple and simple like that. And invite Jesus into your story. Your best days are ahead. Your best days are ahead. Your best days are ahead. It is not over. It is not over. It is not over. It is not over. I think I'm done. We're going to have Slurpees in the foyer that's an awkward transition we also have we're praying and we're gonna have slurpees and also if you want to find out more about the church how to be connected in it how to get to know more about it before you make any grand decision grow happens at 12:15. there'll be lunch provided and it'll be done all right god bless you as you go